Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. I'm John Siegley for this one, joined by Mike Ingersoll and Taylor Viplis, going to be doing a little bit of a preview of Georgia Tech from a player perspective for this one. So guys, let's start this one off with something that I have seen brought up, I don't know how many countless times since Paul Johnson became the head coach of Georgia Tech. And that is that Georgia Tech triple option offense. Now, we were hoping to get EJ on this one, but unfortunately, he is under the weather today. So we're going to hear from the two former offensive players. But I wanted to get y'all's perspective. And Mike, let's start with you, because I feel this is where the number one controversy about Georgia Tech lies is their offensive blocking scheme. And we've talked about it several times, but hey, it's that time of year. They have the reputation of cut blocking all the time and chop blocking and basically playing a little bit dirty on their offensive line to spring their running backs and make that offense work. As an offensive lineman yourself, do you think, number one, that that reputation is earned by Georgia Tech? And number two, what are your thoughts on how they conduct their offense in general? To answer your first question, I don't think Georgia Tech plays dirty and I don't think that I don't think that Paul Johnson's offense and their blocking schemes that are associated with it necessarily result in dirty plays. I don't I don't think cut blocking is dirty by any stretch of the imagination. It's a it's a, it's an effective offensive line technique. They just happen to have all five guys doing it at one time for the most part. Um where you run into problems with them as a defensive lineman and EJ would tell you this is high-low situations, and they do get caught in that a lot, and it doesn't get called really enough with Georgia Tech, where you have one offensive lineman blocking high, and another guy comes in and takes out a defensive lineman's knees. That's how guys end up getting hurt. Uh, but I don't think that it's – I don't think it's dirty. I think one guy has an assignment, and another guy has an assignment, and most likely the guy who's blocking high has the option to stay high or to go ahead and cut right off the snap. He chooses to stay high. The other guy chooses to go low uh, because they have that option, and you get high-low situations with D linemen. But it's not it's not dirty by any stretch. And in terms of its effectiveness, what I think about it generally, I mean, I I think the offense itself is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's difficult to defend because of that. Uh, it's obviously effective in terms of gaining rush yardage, but it it, it doesn't allow you it. it you are by design one-dimensional for the most part, unless you're like Georgia Tech has been the last couple of years and have a quarterback that can actually throw the ball and you can recruit receivers that can run routes and actually and catch the ball. But most of the time their big gainers in the pass game are just a result of, you know, as a defensive player, you are 90% of the time up on the, balls of your, on the balls of your feet playing the run. You're really run heavy, you're downhill heavy, and you get caught with a, you know, with a long gainer in the pass game. It's really just a – it's a change of pace deal for them uh, throwing the ball. So it, it catches defenses off guard. Do I like it? I don't like it. Uh, I think it's ridiculous when a Georgia Tech offensive lineman makes the all-conference team. I don't think that should ever be the case. Uh, they don't actually block anybody. They do cut the entire time, and cutting is difficult. There is technique involved in it, and, mo- and a lot of guys aren't that good at it uh, because it does take a lot of time to perfect it. But 
that being said, there's no real art to it. And when a Georgia Tech offensive lineman makes the all-conference team or wins weekly all-ACC honors, I think it's outrageous because you have 11 other teams or uh, 13 other teams in the conference that are that are blocking normally and their offensive linemen are engaged in typical offensive line play and they're not getting the recognition while the Georgia Tech offensive lineman who spends 98% of his day on his stomach on the ground is getting that recognition. I just don't agree with it. Well, so you talked about wide receivers, and I wanted to swing this back over to Taylor now. So, Taylor, you know, as a wide receiver yourself, number one, this Georgia Tech offense, is it one that you would ever have any interest in playing? And number two, let's go ahead and get your thoughts just overall on the style and what you think of it. There's, to answer your first question, there's a 0% chance any wide receiver wakes up in the morning as a high schooler being like, this is the offense I want to play for. They barely get their receivers involved in the passing game. And for the most part, like Mike said, 90% of the game, you're looking to block 10% of the time they're throwing the ball. And these guys, I watched the Virginia tech game and the, when they had to throw the ball, I think it was either once or twice the entire game. The quarterback just looked so uncomfortable. He didn't get his feet set under him, and it just looked like a mess the entire way. So it's something where if you're a high schooler and you play wide receiver, there you can't want to play for the triple option. I guess if it's your best your best chance or if they're recruiting a running back and they get him to campus and then transfer him to a wide receiver. or Maybe they get a guy on campus as a cornerback and they transfer him to a receiver. But I can't imagine too many kids lining up to play for Paul Johnson at, at the receiver position. And then I, I, for what they do and what they're trying to do, I respect that Paul Johnson has like this set way about him when the game is kind of going in a different direction with these like high powered spread offenses. Um, normally when you watch a Georgia tech game, you could, you can watch maybe the first quarter and get a sense for the entire game, whether or not the option is working, because like Mike said, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors and anything that you try to throw at Paul Johnson as a defensive coordinator He's probably seen it just for how long he's been coaching the option. So he's always got a counter for what you're trying to do. And he does a really good job of if he sees one thing that you can't guard, like if Carolina has a hard time containing um, Georgia Tech out wide, like he's not afraid to go to that every every play until you show him you could stop it. So the common mantra that you hear about defeating Georgia Tech is to stop that dive play because I think that's the one that Georgia Tech will just do over and over and over again. Those wide plays, Taylor, that you mentioned, I think those are the most dangerous because that those are ones that you can see breaking for long touchdowns. But that dive play is the game that if Georgia Tech's getting six, seven yards every single time, you know, they will just do that and walk down the field on you. Mike, in the past, Carolina has been able to beat Georgia Tech by simply outscoring them. That or they win the turnover battle in a big way. 
So with turnovers being kind of just that random thing, I don't think any coach game plans to get turnovers. If Carolina is going to actually outscore Georgia Tech on Saturday, how do you think they can get across doing that? Well, no, no coach game plans for turnovers, but they do game plan for what to do when there is a turnover. And that's game management. And you'll actually see that game plan come out every time there is a turnover. You'll see a very set, uh, based on field positioning, where they are uh, and what the down and this, or excuse me, what the, um, um, what kind of time you have on the clock, you will see a script, at least for the first two or three plays after that turnover until they get a first down and then they get off script or if they break something big. Um, but that's, so that, that's point number one. Uh, what was your second point again? I apologize. The second point was just if Carolina is going to outscore Georgia Tech on Saturday, given how the offense has looked now for the last couple of weeks, how do you think the coaches can scheme to get that done? Well, they're going to have to they're going to have to run the ball and control the clock themselves because when you play Georgia Tech, you have to go ahead and game plan for three, two to three less possessions per game uh, than you would nor- or in that game than you would normally have in any other game. Uh, so if you go ahead and you budget two possessions per quarter uh, in every game, that's eight possessions per game on average. You need to go ahead and plan on having only five or six against Georgia Tech. So in order to maximize those those possessions you have you have to control the clock because Georgia Tech will do that they're going to keep your they're going to keep your defense on the field they're going to run the clock down and you're not going to have much time to do anything so continuing to run the ball the way that we've been running the ball hitting outside plays and getting plays near the sideline in order to stop the clock to preserve the clock to give you an extra an extra shot at the end of the half or at the end of the game that's going to be critical so I wouldn't be at all surprised if you saw a game plan that involved a lot of uh, a lot of quick passes to the outside, the kind of bubble screens and zombies and things like that that are an extension of the running game, but things getting towards the sideline in the passing game and also wide-hitting run plays uh, or at least your sixes and sevens inside shoulder of the tackle, uh, your tight stretch plays that are designed to get at least somewhere near the sideline to get outside, to, get, to, to, hit, the, to, to hit the sideline, get to the boundary, and stop the clock. And the reason you want to, again, the reason you want to stop the clock is you want to preserve as much time for yourself as possible because you know you're going to lose it when Georgia Tech is on the field as they're just bleeding the clock to death. That's actually a very interesting point there, Mike. I had not considered that before. Taylor, before we get your thoughts on that, let's talk about JerseyMikes.com. Uh, sorry. Let's talk about Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill. And for everyone listening in, you should know this by now, but if you don't, what you need to know is Heels15. That is the code that gets you 15% off of your order from Jersey Mike Subs at Chapel Hill. They also have locations in Hillsborough and now in Chatham County at the Chatham County Crossing and the Lowe's Food Shopping Center. That brand new store in Chatham County is only a 12-minute drive from the heart of Chapel Hill, right down 15501. It's on the way for anyone coming to Chapel Hill from Laurenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pine, Sanford, or Pittsburgh. Support the IC Podcast and thank Charlie, Clinton, Griffin, our guys at Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill for their continued support of Inside Carolina. You use that code HEELS15, get that 15% off of your order by going to jerseymikes.com slash order. Select the location nearest to you, click order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter HEELS15 and get that 15% off your entire order. 
You get to skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. It's a super easy process, so do it today. You can also look for Jersey Mike's inside of Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC Podcast and get 15% off of your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win with the code HEELS15. Taylor, so Mike talked about the importance there of trying to preserve clock while the heels are on offense. And I think, as I said, that's a very astute thing. I personally, I never really considered that. So do you, was that something that Larry Fedora talked with you guys, especially in the wide receiver core that, you know, if y'all get that pass, maybe look for the outside, get out of bounds, save some clock. And let's go ahead and start there. And I think I have a follow-up for you, but let's hear your response there first. That was never something that we talked about, you know, getting out of bounds and trying to preserve as much clock as possible. Um, For these weeks, it's really crucial. You capitalize on every offensive possession. So that was the thing that was being instilled in us, you know, more so protecting the ball and uh, not giving the ball back to Georgia Tech. So our offensive game plan was always, you know, what's going to be the best plays for us to run? And just try not to try not to focus on what the defense is doing when they're out there. And just it was more so, you know, focus on what you have to do in the offensive room and the rest of the game should take care of itself. And I think that's why you saw us outscore Georgia Tech a lot of these games, because we we took that upon ourselves where we were like, it's simple. But if we score one more point than them, we win this game. And it, it always just felt like we would find a way. So let me ask you this then. Did the coaches ever go over with you guys like maybe some plays designed to score quickly in the event that Georgia Tech left very little time on the clock, either before a half or at, or at the end of the game? Was there ever an emphasis placed on creating a play specifically for that situation? Uh, I wouldn't say specifically for that situation. Um, we would go with more the the less time there is the more like big shot plays we would take down the field where you know we're we're not in this quick passing game and the quarterback's doing his full five step drop um so we never had really like big hitter plays every play we had was if we executed we always knew we, there was the, the chance we could break it for a touchdown but it was never like we need 25 plus yards in this amount of time but the coaches did put us through situational spots where you know we start on r20 and there was 30 seconds on the clock and we needed uh say we needed seven points and we would go through those situations at the end of the practice against our defense and that was always good for us to get to get those reps where you know you have to be conscious about the clock. You have to be conscious. If I catch this ball, I have to get out of bounds. Or if we catch this and we're before the first down, we have to run up and clock it. So it was it was a good to put us in those situations where we're kind of uncomfortable and where we need points late at a half or end of the game. All right, Mike, do you have anything to respond to what Taylor's just said there about how this coaching staff would approach that Georgia Tech game? No, Georgia Tech is entirely it, – the entire game plan is essentially situational football. So Taylor's saying that that's what they were going over in practice. That's, number one, the right approach. Number two, I would be willing to bet the same approach that most, if not all, teams that are going to play Georgia Tech that week employ in practice. Point number two is 
in terms of whether plays are designed to score quickly or not, uh, Taylor gave the best answer you can give there. I'd say there's an even shorter answer, and that's that every play is designed to score. So, <laughs> and, and, if, and if you run one play and you score it, it happened quickly. So, really, it's exactly like Taylor said. Every play is designed to score. Every play has the potential to break. The question is, understanding that that is not going to happen most of the time, um, where, what plays can you run that allow you to eat up the biggest chunk of yardage with each play, assuming it's successful, to get you closer and closer to the red zone and closer and closer to the end zone and to whatever point total you need to beat Georgia Tech, which, like Taylor said, is just one more than them. All right, so let's talk about the quarterback position because, again, this is going to be the hot-button topic with true freshman Jace Reuter having potentially four games left in this season. If the coaching staff wanted to play him, he would be able to play and still retain his red shirt. Now, Taylor, I don't know awesome. exactly. It's it's a pretty good situation if you ask me, but, Mike, we're going to get your thoughts here in a second. I want to swing this over to Taylor, though, for right now because – Taylor, have you heard anything from guys on the team or from any of your contacts that Heels fans might be able to look into to see if if Jace is expected to play on Saturday? And then the follow-up to that is obviously, do you think that now is the time to make a quarterback change if the staff is going to do that at all this season? I haven't heard anything whether Jace Ruder would play. I think the game plan is to keep putting Nathan Elliott out there. Um, do I think Jace Ruder should play? I personally, if he gives you the best chance to win, if all the guys around him feel he gives you the best chance to win, if the coaching staff feels like he gives you the best chance to win, you owe it to the seniors. You owe it to everybody in that locker room to put the guy out there. Who's going to give you the best chance to win. And if they think it's Nathan Elliott, so be it. If they think it's Jace Ruder, so be it. Um, but at the same time, Cade Fortin, when Cade Fortin got put in against the Virginia Tech game, when a lot of people were asking for Cade Fortin to go in, he looked like a significant upgrade for the offense and somebody who can make a lot more of the throws necessary and be the guy that Carolina needs leading their offense. So it's kind of like a maybe why wasn't he playing earlier? What was seen in practice that maybe gave Nathan Elliott that edge over Cade Fortin? So it's 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 hard to know the situation exactly, um, not being at practices and not having those open um, to where you could just go and and view them. So I the short answer would be play the person who gives you the best chance to win, uh, whoever that is, regardless if they're a true freshman, um, worrying about their red shirt or not, uh, just play the guy who gives you the best chance. All right, Mike, jump in here, man. Well, Taylor said it properly. It's, it's whoever gives you the best chance to win. And the question is, just like he said, what, what's been seen in practice to this point? using Cade as the example, what was seen in practice that kept him off the field? Uh, and then what was seen in practice that ultimately put him on the field? And I, I would say that it's most likely not a a practice observation that got him on the field. It was just an on-field production issue. Um, but, you know, it, 
Cade was hailed as the second coming because he had, you know, a few good series and offense looked productive before he got hurt. Um, looking at it objectively and taking off the rose-colored glasses, he made some he made some freshman mistakes, and that's most likely why him and Jace Reuter have not been on the field to this point because in practice they're making freshman mistakes, and you can't trust them right now to run the entire offense and and still give us a chance to win in every situation, which is the type of quality you need to look for in the guy you're going to have out there running your offense. If there's the opportunity for them to F up and F up pretty big in a big situation just because they don't have the experience, not because they're incapable, but just because they don't have the experience and they just, they haven't seen certain things before. If, if you're a coach and you catch a whiff of that in practice, you're going to keep them off the field. That being said, should Jace play this weekend? Uh, you know, I don't know. Is Georgia Tech the team to put him out there against, or should we wait for Western? You know, Georgia Tech is a game that's going to have limited possessions. We've talked about that. You're going to have limited time with the football, and you're going to have to, like Taylor said earlier, you're going to have to score on every single offensive possession. You know, that's what the word maximizing – that's what maximizing and maximizing possessions means. It means score some damn points. And make sure you score every single time you have the ball because you're only going to have it a few times. Is throwing a true freshman out there who hasn't played yet and we're seven, really, technically eight weeks into the season so far, throwing that kid in there who hasn't played a, a, a real significant down all year? Is Georgia Tech really the team to put him out there? Is that is Georgia Tech with minimized offensive possessions and a real sense of urgency every single time you touch the ball is – Jace the kid to put out there, I don't know. I would side with experience, and if it looks like nothing's happening or if it looks like the game's out of hand and there's no way we're going to win it, I would put Jace in at that, at that point. I wouldn't start it. But considering the fact that, you know, the NCAA has this new rule where you can play four games and not burn your shirt, I mean, that's, that, that's highly beneficial to Carolina right now because even if we win out, we're not going to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. So starting, starting maybe next week, I would throw the kid in there. I would start him. I'd see what he can do, and then I'd pull him for Nathan. And that's not because I don't like Nathan or I don't think he's a good kid. I don't. I mean, I don't even think Nathan's a bad football player. Uh, but at this point, they need to see what they have on this roster, and they need to see what they have at the quarterback spot because, with all due respect to Nathan, he is the starting quarterback, and we are one and six. And there needs to be a change made, and whether that's the quarterback, you know, we don't know, but we do need to see what we have. So maybe starting next week would be the time to start a guy like Jace, see what he can do in game in, in live game situations, or throw him in mid game here against Georgia Tech if it looks like it gets out of hand. But I would side with experience going into this game just because there is that sense of urgency with every possession because you do have to score every time you touch the ball, or you're not gonna be Georgia Tech. Let's take another quick commercial break to talk about HeelsTravel.com. It is the easiest way to book travel to big UNC away basketball and football games. Guys, right now, HeelsTravel.com is offering a package to Chicago to see UNC take on Kentucky on December 22nd. That's going to be one of the biggest games of the entire college basketball season, and you do not want to miss it. Visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. That package includes nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, and a two-night stay at the Chicago Omni right in downtown Chicago, and it's also where the basketball team is staying. It's a great chance to see your Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent, and also get to check out a fun city right around Christmas time. So visit HeelsTravel.com now 
or call 336-855-0060 to book. All right, let's continue with this line of discussion real quick, guys, because I think in the in the UNC offense, if they are going to be successful, to me, the one thing that has to improve is that potential quarterback play. And that leads to my next kind of topic here, and that's ball security, because they ran the stat during the UVA game that Nathan Elliott has thrown, I don't know how many passes in a row without throwing an interception. It's a pretty impressive number, and he's doing a much better job of keeping the ball out of the opponent's hands. That's something that, unfortunately, uh, you know, UNC's other quarterbacks have struggled with so far this season. I asked this question a little bit with Don Callahan, and we discussed it, but I wanted to get y'all's perspective as well, being former players. So, Mike, going to start with you. When it comes to that QB spot, do you think that it's more important to have a quarterback who is not going to turn the ball over, but maybe a, lim- a little bit limited on the types of throws he can make, which I think would be fair to assess that's what Carolina's offense is now, or do you think that a quarterback that has a little bit of a better arm, so like a Cade Foran or potentially a Jace Reuter, but might make those fresh mistakes that you talked about earlier, do you think that that is the better route to go ultimately? Or is it kind of just pick your poison and hope you don't die in the end? I'm glad you used that. That was actually the phrase I was going to use. It's, it's you know, how do you like your poison? And how risk-averse are you? Someone like me, I'm very risk-averse. I want the guy who's steady-handed, that's consistent, that's going to knock it, that's not going to turn the ball over. If I go three and out, depending on the situation of three and out, can it amounts to a turnover. But for the most part, if I can go three and out and not, not give the ball away, I'd rather have that than a interception 25 yards down the field or an interception on a screen that gets returned for a touchdown. And the reason, I, the reason I'm in that camp is the stat is something like 78%. It's, we'll round up, it's 80%. 80% of the time, if you win the turnover battle, you win the game. And if you're the team giving up the ball, you are ham- you are, you're, you're hamstringing yourself. If you lose the turnover battle, you're probably going to lose the game. The same is true in the in the kick game. If you if you give up a kick return for a touchdown, whether that's a punt return or a kickoff return, you're probably going to lose the game. That stat is also in the 80-something 80, 80 percentile. If you win two out of three phases of the game, that's offense and defense or special teams and offense or special teams and defense or some combination, right, you're going to most likely win the football game, another stat that's in the – 80th percentile. Well, I can eliminate the risk of one of those situations if I have a quarterback that doesn't give the ball up, and if I've got ball carriers that don't put the ball on the ground and don't turn it over. I eliminate the risk of losing the game because I lost a turnover battle. Now, if I get beat, I know that it's because the other situation happened. I either gave up a kick return for a touchdown in the kicking game, or I lost two out of three phases in the game. I know that, that if that if I eliminate the turnover consideration, that there's two other opportunities to me either win or lose the game. But I know that if I'm not turning the ball over, I'm giving my, myself a chance to win. Now, what's the well, you know you have a gunslinger back there, right? You have Brett Favre back there. Brett threw a lot of interceptions. He threw a lot of touchdowns too. Guys like him. Mahomes is another one. He's playing pretty well this season, but in college he's the same way. Throws a lot of touchdowns, but he throws a lot of interceptions. A lot of big gainers in the past game is really exciting to watch. You know, how, how many highs and lows do you want in a game? Me, I would much rather have the guy that I know isn't going to turn the ball over so that I can then at least stay on schedule. I know that's one guy I don't have to worry about, 
who's going to put me in a position to lose the game. And if my quarterback is the guy I don't have to worry about that's going to put me in a position to lose the game, I'd say I'm in a pretty good spot because there are some teams who have quarterbacks that will lose them the game not because of ability but because they make boneheaded decisions. The other thing with not turning the ball over, it shows an aptitude for decision-making. It shows that he understands the offense and he knows where to go and he knows when to take the safe play when it's given to him. Now, the flip side of that is, and fans will complain, he probably, you know, a guy like Nathan takes the, uh, he takes the low-risk throw way too much, and that doesn't result in first downs. But it also doesn't result in turnovers. Again, you have a limited number of possessions in a football game. The assumption is you'll have around eight. If you turn the ball over twice, you're down to six. You also gave the other team two more. That's ten for them. They have ten chances to score. You have six. If everybody scores on every possession that they have, they lose. You lose, right? The team with the less – the least amount of possessions loses the game. That's what Georgia Tech is this weekend, but that's generally how offensive philosophy works. So, again, I, I take the guy who's, uh, who, who gives me the best chance to win by not turning the ball over because I know at that point I can focus on those other two areas, winning, in the, winning the three phases and winning special teams in terms of not giving up kicks for touchdowns or returning kicks myself for touchdowns and trying to win the game that way. All right, Taylor, let's hear you, man. Are you on the more risk-adverse side, or you know, you being that skill position, flashy wide receiver, do you guys just want to throw the ball 40 yards in the air every time and see what happens? I'll play devil's advocate and go with the opposite side. Give me a quarterback who can make all the throws necessary, but he's, you know, he's a young guy and he's more likely to throw an interception or kind of put your team in a bad spot just because he's going to struggle now and he can go through these rough times now, but you're at least building towards something in the future and putting him in situations to kind of say, hey, why'd you make this throw and just be able to learn from it? Because if these two quarterbacks play up to their potential, the quarterback that can make all the throws is obviously the guy who you're going to have a higher ceiling with. I think you're seeing that right now with Nathan Elliott where he, he knows where to go with the ball. He knows what defenses are trying to do against him. But at this point, he just doesn't have the arm strength necessary to to make these throws out wide. I'm watching this game against Virginia, and our wide receivers, are when they're split outside the numbers, I'm like, there's maybe a 5% chance that he can make this throw out wide. So you're basically cutting the field in half when you're when you're splitting these guys out so wide. And then defenses can kind of just condense in the middle of the field so I'd rather a guy who can come out there uh sling the ball 20 yards down the sideline put a good uh put a good touch on the ball squeeze it into tighter windows and just just say live with him making the mistakes and knowing big plays are coming but at the same time you're more likely to turn the ball over and Right now for Carolina, it's not like, even though he hasn't thrown an interception since the Cal game, if I'm, mm-hmm. I believe that's correct, yeah. um, he still has two turnovers the past four games. He fumbled in Miami, he fumbled in Virginia. So you're still you're still giving the team, uh, your opponent, more opportunities when you're fumbling, when you're getting sacked, or you're trying to throw the ball away and it slips. So the, the turnovers are still there. They're just not in the form of interceptions right now. Well, running the ball, too, is obviously not a strength of Nathan Elliott against the Virginia Cavaliers. Every time he got out of the pocket, 
you could just tell from watching it that it was going to be a disaster. And unfortunately, you know, the defense was able to close on him very quickly. And he's, you know, but that's never really been his thing. However, I do feel that in Larry Fedora's offense, having a quarterback that can scramble and make things happen with his legs is a very, very important thing. Because even someone like Bryn Renner, you know, Renner wasn't the most agile of guys, but hey, he could scramble when he needed to, and it was a big-time weapon. So let's go ahead and close this one out, guys, by talking about homecoming, because it is homecoming this weekend. Hopefully the crowd is a little bit rowdier than what they would be. It's going to be tough, though, for fans to get there for you know a Heels team that only has one win on the season. But hey, we can be yeah, a little bit optimistic. Kelly Bryant, except, except Kelly Bryant's going to be there, and we need a quarterback, and that might be our guy. Yeah, actually, Don brought up the point in in our podcast that he kind of wished Kelly Bryant was coming back for a different game because after seeing Virginia Tech and then seeing a crowd that might show up against Georgia Tech, you know, he he might be seeing the highs and lows there, and you know that could impact his decision. But look, as as players. Was was there ever like anything special about uh, you know homecoming? Did you guys ever get more amped up for it, or was it just mostly for you guys just another day and another game? Uh, Mike, let's start with you for that. Uh, homecoming is a fan experience, it's not so much a player experience. Um, you get excited because a lot of people come in from out of town, so you see a lot of older guys you played with or some alumni you maybe haven't met before that are a little more well known former players, things like that. But for the most part, no, uh, homecoming was just another weekend. It resulted in basically the same house party over at the football house and uh, the same debauchery afterwards. There was really no difference for us. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's more a fan experience than it is anything for the players. Now, high school homecoming was a different story. I took that much yeah. more seriously than college homecoming. Yeah, high school homecoming is a little bit more, like, you know. That was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, so for, for you guys, I mean, was it kind of cool seeing that those former players though, Mike, that back in your playing day, was that ever something that, you know, that the coaching staff maybe prioritized and, and had you guys, you know, maybe someone come into the locker room and give a speech or anything like that? It was one thing that Butch Davis emphasized a lot and it was, it was beneficial for us because we didn't have a lot of those big name alumni come back. I don't believe Julius Peppers has actually been back to campus since he graduated. Uh, you know, he came back. He obviously left campus. He came back and um, and got his. I believe he came back and got his degree, but he hasn't been back to campus since the early 2000s. And Lawrence Taylor, when he came back for the 2009 Florida State game on Thursday night, the first time we ever had a Thursday night game at Keenan, that was the first time he'd been back since he left in 1980. So, getting guys like that back for Bush was a big deal because that's something that he had at Miami, a very strong alumni network of NFL guys that came back and and we're part of the team and interacted with the players. Part of the issue with guys coming back now is, is twofold. I don't know what Coach Fedora's emphasis is on it. I know he was always good to us as alumni before, um, but the administration is very skittish when it comes to former guys, especially uh, former, former players that were in the NFL that are no longer in the NFL or even some current guys that are still playing at the next level. They're very skittish in terms of letting them around. Because of the NCAA stuff, I would say they're overly cautious uh, to the point to where it's off-putting, and a lot of guys don't feel like they're actually welcome back. That's a conversation that we have a lot, and unless you are a current starter on an NFL roster, there's very little uh, – there's, there's, there's no love for you, and that comes from 
a lot of a lot of guys that I played with that that played significant years and snaps in the NFL that no longer are, and they 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 get the same treatment. So unless you're an active player that's starting for someone, and you're you know you're notable, uh, or you're somebody that was pushed a lot in you know in terms of publicity while you're here as a player, they they don't really want much to do with you. It feels like a no room at the end kind of situation. And I that's not a coaching staff issue. That is a administration issue. That's football ops, and that's uh, that's the UNC administration, really. It's coming down from UNC administration. So that's that's the issue facing the program in terms of getting alumni back. Uh, it's permeated throughout the years, and I know that it's been like that for quite a while. Butch tried to put an, tried to put an end to it, but obviously he's not there anymore. And I know Fedora did the best he could, but after the NCAA stuff, you know, the school is just um, they don't. It doesn't seem the administration understands the benefit of having the alumni come back for the for the program. Uh, basketball alumni are welcome back with open arms. Football is not so much, and that's having I would say a detrimental effect, at least on morale around the program. Because I, I know the positive effect that it has on morale when those guys do show up. Guys like LT and um, you know Pep, we got to see once down in Atlanta when we played LSU, but but that was that was about it. So yeah, it helps. Uh, it would be nice if the environment was a little more conducive to those guys coming back and a little more welcoming to them coming back. Ooh, that's some heavy stuff right there, Mike. You said a bunch. Taylor, let's get your thoughts, man. Yeah, going off what Mike said with players coming back, I think there's also a disconnect with football just because, you know, you look at the basketball side and guys like Marvin Williams are coming back, Raymond Felton, and they all played for Coach Williams and people, you know, they're more excited to go back and see their old coaches and, it's basically it, it, they are a family at Carolina. And I think that's something that coach Fedora has done a good job doing um, just because there seems to be like a disconnect between, you know, the Butch Davis guys and even, even earlier guys and not having that same connection with the coaching staff, especially just because there's been a lot of turnover, but I think coach Fedora has done a really good job. Like, if you look at this past freak show event, there was a ton of former players, a ton of former NFL players that played under coach Fedora and, you know, you're in year seven. So you're kind of building that, that roster of NFL guys year by year. And that was definitely something that was a lot cooler for us than just the overall homecoming weekend. Like I couldn't tell you one of our homecoming games in the four years that, or even the six years since I've been um, at Carolina so homecoming was never a big thing, but like Mike said, seeing the NFL guys, seeing old guys that you played with, um, getting to meet former lettermen um, who played, you know, whenever they did play and hearing their stories. And those those were a lot cooler moments for us than just seeing um, just, just the general homecoming weekend. It's because we're not like, going through any of the events because we're just focused on this game so it's just more of like a, a a letterman weekend and trying to meet as many people as you can because you never know when it's going to turn into uh like a networking opportunity um but with the nfl guys i wanted to get back to that um for us it was more like seeing what teams were on bye weeks at a certain point and seeing you know who made an effort to come back to Chapel Hill when they were on a bye week because these guys, they have like one free weekend per year. So it was always cool to see those guys come back and they're guys that you, you might've played with, but you still look up to them because they're in a spot where you want to be. So 
guys like Eric Ebron, it was always cool to see him come back. Um, Giovanni Bernard. Um, I bet this team would be like really excited if, if Mitch came back, if Super Bowl champion Matt Collins comes back, Kareem Martin, um, Trey Boston. There's a ton of guys that, you know, are in a spot where these freshmen or sophomores, they're looking up and being like, hey, this is where I want to get to. And maybe some of the juniors and the seniors played with them. So it's a good time getting back. And uh, there was one point I wanted to touch on about meeting like former Letterman as a player. There was one point, I think it was two years ago, once I started doing videos for Carolina football, I parked my car and I was walking up to um, the stadium and I was walking past tailgates and like nobody was really saying anything. Um, I was just walking and somebody stopped me and they were like, oh my God, you're Taylor Ripless. And like, I looked up and it was Algie Crumpler. And I was like, dude, you're Algie. I was like, dude, you're Algie Crumpler. Like, you're not supposed to know who I am. Like, I'm supposed to know who you are. And he was like, he was Crumpler's a good guy. (laughs) Yeah. He was walking with um, Dre Bly and Dre Bly kind of had this like puzzled look on his face. Like, who is this guy? And Crump was like, dude, this is terrible. It's like, you got to follow him on Twitter. You got to watch his videos. Like, they're so funny. And like, he, he like gave me his number. He followed me on Twitter. He was like, if you ever need anything, reach out to me. So like, those are the cool moments for us as players and us as lettermen, like going back and seeing the impact that you make and learning about other people and the impact that they made for Carolina football. Because at the end of the day, everybody has the same goal in mind and taking this program to, you know, a level that it hasn't been to or a level that we're trying to get back to, like the 2015 season. So it's it's always great getting together with all those guys. So one yeah, thing yeah, that I want I want to I want to build on that Taylor. That's a good point because you brought up Crump and Dre Bly, and those are two guys that were extremely accomplished both here and at, and at the NFL level, and they come back regardless. So I don't want my comments to be taken like there's no alumni coming back. Those are two guys specifically, and there's there, there there's a bunch of others that come back regardless. They, they don't care about being in the facility. They don't want to be on the sidelines. They don't want the notoriety. They don't want any of that. They're just back because they love Carolina. And two of those guys are most certainly Crump and Dre Bly, who I've had a chance to hang out with um, a lot back up there when they come back as alumni. They've always been very welcoming to us. Same type of – that story you just told sounds exactly like Crump. Um, you know, at, at the games, out at the bars, things like that. A guy that is an absolute stud. He was a stud in the NFL. He was a stud here in Carolina. He's a big name. He was a star. And he's just a regular guy. And Dre Bly is the same way. He's just a regular guy coming back, hanging out, seeing everybody. And he, they, they, those are two guys that always make you feel welcome and, um, and make you feel like you're part of the family. So there, there, is, there, there are those alumni around, but I've heard, you know, the, the flip side is I've heard a lot of complaints about the, uh, um, the, the, the no room at the end feeling for a lot of guys when they come back. So, you know, I, I want to say there's two sides of the coin. There's guys that come back regardless. And and they're always there. I think Algie's got a big RV that he brings to all the games, and he comes to every game. And then there's you know then there's 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 the darker side of it that's you know a little more uncomfortable to talk about, and that's you know guys that aren't necessarily feeling welcome back. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a key thing there, and that's what I wanted to just follow up real quick with you, Taylor. And you know, one of the things that Mike said is it's not like the coaching staff is is this, and that's absolutely the case. You know, Coach Fedora. You know, the amount of time that he honestly should be spending on outreach stuff is, 
you know, it, it's important for like, you know, he's got to show up to, to the donors and then he's, he's got to make some public appearances. But frankly, you know, he's concerned w- with winning football games. I mean, that's what he's hired to mostly do. And that, that's option number one. And so it does fall on the admin, like Mike said, to, you know, reach out to the guys that aren't NFL stars. And Taylor, you were part of the UNC football kind of on that admin side with doing their videos and, and things like that. You know, do you think that number one, that Carolina does do enough right now to kind of reach out to guys like that maybe aren't that those superstars like Mike was saying? And then number two, do you think if, if it's not that, you know, maybe a little bit more could be done in, in that regard? Yeah, I think a lot more could be done in that regard. And I get that it's tough because, you know, it's not like basketball where you don't have 12 guys on a team every year. And just just from a numbers perspective, it's going to be a lot harder to kind of, you know, stay in contact and offer offer like a, a lot of these benefits that you're probably going to offer the NFL guys, whether it's, you know, exclusive shoes, um, any gear, maybe flying them back to Chapel Hill for like a big recruiting weekend. But I think somebody, it should be somebody's job to kind of be thinking of um, a way to bring everybody back together because, you know, not everybody makes it to the NFL, um, but you do have, you do have guys who, you know, become doctors or, uh, become dentists and become lawyers and become CEOs. And I think there, it, it's just a, another aspect you could do for recruiting. And, you know, when you're showing kids, these campus, like show them the statistics of guys that make it to the NFL. And if the NFL isn't in their future, show them, you know, this guy became a doctor, this guy became a lawyer. This is what, you know, they're making and the, this is where we can connect you. So I think just keeping that like database of where people are, um, staying in good contact with them, um, reaching out, asking if they need anything. Um, if they want to come back to a game, try to try to help them out as best as you can, but it all goes back to uh, a numbers thing. I think. You can't see me, but I'm nodding my head in everything that you just said, Taylor. So Mike, let's close it out with you. Get your final thoughts on what Taylor just said just now well he makes a good point and it's you know i i put myself in this category but and i I don't want it to sound arrogant or flamboyant or anything because there's there's other people in this category that's why i'm making the point um people like cam holland and, and and morgan randall and other guys that are doing um very very impressive things in their professional lives away from football now um, those are those are two guys. Cam's obviously in medical school, and he's doing phenomenal in medical school. And Morgan has graduated medical school, and he's a doctor. Um, and for me, when I was back on campus, Cam Holland is currently on campus. Um, when I was back on campus in law school, you know, this is I reached out to the coaching staff and I reached out to football admin. And again, the coaching staff isn't concerned with this stuff, so I reached out to admin and, and some other people and. I proposed the idea, you know, I floated the idea of using, you know, someone like me uh, or Cam Holland or, you know, people in our shoes to say, listen, these are guys who were here during the NCAA stuff. Um, you know, they were on the team. There's all these rumors that, and all, all these allegations that we never went to class. We were, you know, handed everything academically, and yet here's one kid who's in, you know, one of the top law schools in the country. Here's another kid who's in one of the top medical schools in the country. You know, they played here. 
Cam was obviously in camp with the Chiefs. I had my brief time. You know, they, 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 had their, they had their shot in the NFL. They got done. They came back to school here at Carolina specifically, not just grad school, but, you know, they came back to Carolina. Um, and they're going to be professionals in two of the um, most well-respected professions. Use them. Use us, right, uh, for PR purposes. Um, you know, this is, you know, these are the kinds of anecdotes and the kinds of examples that, that need to be out there right now. And there's a lot of guys in that boat, not just law school or medical school, but other graduate programs. There are guys who are doing things, NCAA compliance, stuff like that, um, you know, that are extending their educations beyond undergrad that played football in Carolina during the time when all the NCAA stuff was going on. And I don't think there's been enough use of those guys in terms of public relations and getting that message out. Lee Pace uh, wrote an article in the Carolina, the Rams Club magazine, he interviewed me and Cam and a few other people, uh, and he and he he tried to do that. He he tried to provide that um, that exposure, but there just wasn't any of that. I didn't I didn't speak with anybody while I was there on campus about being at law school. You know, unless I unless I said it myself in one of the Inside Carolina videos or during a podcast or something like that. Um, I but I, there was no um, there was no effort by UNC administration to actually speak to us. And again, that's that's part of what I talk about you know, in terms of not necessarily feeling welcome back, you know, there's been a lot of uh, distancing between the administration and the guys who graduated anywhere around 2010, 2010, 2011, things like that. A lot of guys feel like they've been essentially shunned from the school because that's when they graduated, regardless of what they've done academically or professionally. So um, I think that's something they can do a better job of. I think they can use those resources because those are certainly resources at their disposal. Those guys, guys like that, guys like me or Cam or, you know, everybody, I'm not saying me specifically, but um, I, I wouldn't promote myself like that, but other people um, that are uh, they're certainly more deserving of that type of attention, they should be used. They should, they should get that kind of attention, and the school should use them to their advantage. The program should use them to their advantage, and I don't see enough of that. And I, think it's, I just think it's a missed opportunity. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just it's an opportunity that's not being capitalized on. All right, final, final thoughts. Taylor, go ahead, man. Yeah, I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, he, he, It's not like in his job description, but a guy who kind of does that for for players is a guy like Brian Chacos with the Rams Club. And he, oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's not getting paid to do that. He's just doing that because he knows what it's like to be a former player. He's built like a ton of connections. So, you know, he came up to me at a practice. I did not play like one snap was never going to affect a game and he still reached out to me he was like hey man like do you want to get breakfast one day on campus like we could talk about like what you want to do in your future so and then like I met with him I told him what I wanted to do he was like these are the people you should contact boom 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 these guys played at Carolina football who I think could help you out and he kind of has just like that database for players like this is who you should reach out to and you know he's not getting paid to do that he's just doing that because out of the goodness of his heart because he wants to see like these guys do well. And I think that's what you would see from like 99% of these lettermen. Like we want to do anything we can to help the program and anything to put it in a better position. Like we're going to try to do. Yeah. 100% agree. That's perfectly said. Absolutely. And you would think, you know, with all the money that college football is generating right now, 
Yeah, they could maybe create a specified position for that. But different that's... conversation for exactly. A different I was gonna say we've talked <laughs> enough already, so we will go ahead and sign off. Mike Taylor, thanks a lot for joining me. That's all from us at Inside Carolina. We'll talk with everyone again soon. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.